On this episode of This Week in Linux, the new Radeon 7 Beast from AMD is out, and we'll check out some benchmarks from our friends at Veronix. A new version of KDE Plasma is coming out soon, in just a couple of days actually, so we will have a look at what is coming in KDE Plasma 5.15. We also got some new app releases from LibreOffice and Flowblade, and there's a bunch of distro news this week from Fedora, System Rescue CD, Redcore Linux, and some new distros, or at least new to me, uh, Linux Kadachi and Refracta. Later in the show, we'll cover some gaming sales for Humble Bundle and Steam, and all that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean has also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. You, want, you can use that $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some big beefy droplets, including a test run with like their 16 gig RAM, 6 uh, virtual CPU massive droplet. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do. A first in the show this week is the AMD Radeon 7 has been released, and it is a beast. It's a 7 nanometer gaming GPU with 16 gigs of memory via a 4 HBM2 stacks. Wait, no, via 4 HBM2 stacks for offering up to 1 terabytes per second of memory bandwidth, as well as uh, 3,840 3, streams of processing. Now, you can actually boost the clock up to even higher with a one, uh, 1, 7, or it's 1.7 GHz, essentially. And it's what's really cool is that because it came out, of course, Veronix went, you know, did a benchmarking, uh, you know, just a plethora of benchmarking on this new hardware. And there was an announcement from AMD saying that there was going to be better than the 2080, and a lot of people didn't believe that. But it is, by a, a significant portion. So Pharonix testing showed that the Radeon 7 is 12% faster than the GeForce RTX 2080, and has a 52% improvement over the uh, compute performance when you compare it to the RX Vega 64. So this is a beast of a graphics card. Now, one quick note is that the RX 2080 Ti did do better than the Radeon 7, but the 2080 Ti was 13% better performance-wise and cost twice as much. You're looking around anywhere between $1,200 to $1,500 for that card versus the 699 of the AMD Radeon 7. So 13%, twice as much money. It's okay. I'll, I'll, you can keep that 13%. But what's also really cool about this is that this is probably, I don't know if it's the actual first, like, because I think AMD has done it before, but this is one of the first I've known of, like, that are just gigantic flagship GPUs that has been released where it has day one Linux support. 
So the drivers, the, the open source drivers for AMD are, are available in the kernel with the 4.20 kernel and also the 5.0 when that comes out. But the 4.20 kernel has it as well as using the latest version of Mesa drivers. You can have uh, full support of the Radeon 7 day one. That's awesome. And, you know, this is why I'm a big fan of AMD because, you know, NVIDIA is like, yeah, we'll get to you. But AMD actually puts effort into it and does the open source stuff. I currently don't have an AMD because I made, I bought my computer before AMD was, you know, re-envisioned to do this open source structure. But I can't wait to get a new computer because it will be AMD. Anyway, it's not technically available right now with most distros. If you use a rolling distro like Arch, then you could probably get access to using it uh, with the 4.20 drivers because they're, you know, really quickly or the, the Arch and OpenSUSE of Tumbleweed will probably have it. But if you wanted to use it for Ubuntu, Fedora, or distros like that, you'd have to wait for probably the next release, uh, like Ubuntu 19.04, Fedora 30, to get the latest version of the kernels. Um, I'm not really sure which kernel they're going to be pushing. They haven't really announced specifically, but there will be at least 4.20. And at that point, uh, there will be support for the the Radeon 7. So, yeah, I'm excited about this. And hopefully uh, I get to try this one day because it looks awesome. Anyway, next topic. Up next in the show is LibreOffice 6.2 has been released. And there's a lot of improvements to features, and such as uh, some new design changes. They have new uh, updates to their default icon set. They're also making a new icon set with uh, SVG-based icons. That's currently in the experimental features section. So you can, I'll have the link in the show notes where you can show you how to set it up. But you have to activate those in order to get it. But this improves the sharpness of the icons on the toolbars for like high DPI displays. They've also added better compatibility with uh, Microsoft Office documents, which is basically every time they make a new release, they improve those that, those compatibility uh, because you know that's pretty important. Um, it also how has improvements to the o, the the OOXML and the EMF ha- handling for these types of documents, as well as gaining support for uh, OOXML agile encryption and HMAC verification, but. The probably the most important thing is the new notebook UI. Basically, it's a ribbon style UI. Now, it's not on by default, but it is available by default. So if you go into change the, you can go change the settings and you can choose between three different styles of UI. There's the tabbed, the groups, and the contextual UI interfaces. The tabbed one is very similar to the way that the Microsoft Office ribbon UI is is in appearance it, and function as well like they're very similar so the tabbed one is based it's kind of based off the ribbon and then they have the groups and the contextual ones that are modifications to the idea of the ribbon ui and also there's just an interesting side bit is that they have this new support feature for uh, having an image of a handwritten signature to be applied to the signature lines of documents so that's a pretty nice convenient feature but yeah, if you're interested in, check, in checking out the latest version of LibreOffice 6.2 to check out the new Notebook Bar UI, you need a you need, first you need a better name than Notebook Bar. Oh, anyway, so I have a link to the latest release of LibreOffice in the show notes. An interesting piece of news is that the Raspberry Pi Foundation has started a retail store, a brick and mortar store for the Raspberry Pi. 
and all of its accessories and different devices. So you can buy uh, Raspberry Pi products and accessories and books. So like you could get development books or you could get accessories like mugs or plush toys or all kinds of stuff like that. It's an interesting thing that you might be wondering why. And that's a good question. I don't really have an answer for that. But it is kind of cool that in the idea that you could have someone who's not familiar with a Raspberry Pi who could kind of like just walk in and try it out and experience, you know, what you could do with the Pi because they have these displays where they have monitors connected to a Pi and you can just kind of use it and see how it works as well as some other instances where they have the Pi hooked up to some TVs for demonstrating different pieces of the Pi can do as well as some boards that are I think they're, they're I don't think they're accessible as far as like doing GPIO stuff, but they do have examples that you can check out. So it's pretty interesting. So I like the idea. I don't know really why, but I think it's a, you know, a fun thing to do. Like my, why, why not? I guess. And, uh, if you're interested, the store is only one of them and the store exists in Cambridge, UK. So you have to go to the grand arcade, the first floor of the grand arcade. And I don't know what that means. I assume it's a mall or something. Anyway, Raspberry Pi retail store. If you are anywhere near there, check it out. And if you are, you know, send some videos of the experience. You should actually post up on like, uh, you know, social media or YouTube or whatever, because that'd be really interesting to have like a, a walkthrough from just a, a, a individual's perspective rather than the Raspberry Pi Foundation themselves. So there's that. Up next in the show is to carry on with the video editor talk conversation we had last week. There's a new video editor or a new version of the Flowblade video editor. 2.0 has been released. It has a new custom GTK theme, GTK3 theme, and it has a new configurable workflow, which is really nice because a lot of people uh, want to have custom layouts or how they do their workflow, so it allows you to change different things. And they've also got some new uh, improvements to their uh, keyboard structure so you can assign custom keyboard shortcuts to various different tools that are on the toolbar and they've added some they added a bunch of new tools such as the keyframe tool which allows online on timeline curves editing of the volume and brightness so you can do uh, keyframing control of the like the volume that's really it comes sometimes comes in handy if you peak too loud in the microphone so you can like uh, go in and just fine tune the audio just in certain keyframes that's really nice They've also added a multi-trim feature, which allows you to trim, roll, and slip uh, clips via just one tool. And they've added this new ripple trim mode, which is kind of interesting because uh, the way they describe it is saying that when you trim something out of a clip, it will leave uh, an out-of-sync structure with the rest of the tracks. And the ripple trim mode will automatically adjust that cut point to try to keep everything in sync. So that's interesting. They also added some new compositors, so you can now use alpha channel data with images. So like if you have a transparent background image, you can combine them together over multiple tracks. And uh, it's just pretty interesting. I haven't tried Flowblade myself in a very long time, so I, have, I don't have an opinion on this particular release. But I do look forward to trying it out soon. I, I did uh, last week, I talked about how I was going to use Olive to edit the episode. I did not do that. I mean, I tried. I spent a, a little bit of time, like an hour or so, but it, their, their workflow for Olive is not really quite there yet. And it, to be fair, Olive is an an alpha stage application, so I didn't really expect it to be 
a very seamless experience. But I had I had a time crunch, so I want I had to just switch back to Caden Life and get it done. So next time when Olive gets a new version, I will check it out and see. You know, I'll just try it without using like a this ep- this show as a as a you know case in point because if this is a time crunch editing, so it's better to just use any other type of video and see you know experience the different editors that way. So that's what I plan to do with all of next time and also Flowblade. So if you want to check out Flowblade for your Flowblade for yourself, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show, the KDE Plasma Mobile team, or the developers of the Plasma Mobile team, have actually done an AMA on Reddit on the R slash Linux subreddit. And this seven developers of the team participated in this AMA. And there was a lot of interesting questions. And also what's really cool is that even though, you know, sometimes you'll see an AMA and like one question is asked and then one of the people in the team answer it. In this case, most of the questions were answered by a variety of different people from the team and their own perspectives, as well as the, as far as like officially on the debate on the behalf of the team. So like the individual and the team answers were there. So that's definitely worth checking out if you're interested. So, but first we're going to talk about a couple of these questions that I found really interesting. First, they said, what is the relationship between Plasma Mobile and KDE Neon going to be? And they said that the Plasma Mobile team provides the KDE Neon based root file system. So in some way that the Plasma Mobile project is actually downstream for the KDE Neon. Uh, so, that, so that's pretty cool. And they said, are there any plans to support devices like the Raspberry Pi or the uh, IMX8 or plans to support the uh, this, the Librem 5 and the, the, the collaboration with Purism on the Librem 5. So first up, they said, we do plan to support devices like Raspberry Pi and the IMX8 dev kits. And they said they're, they're working on bringing Plasma Mobile to th- those particular pieces of hardware right now during their development sprint that they're having, well, right now. They, they did the AMA during their development sprint. So that's pretty cool. They said about the Librem 5, they said that they're currently uh, have the Librem 5 dev kits and they are currently working to make Plasma Mobile run on the device. They don't have an estimate of when it will happen, but they are working on it. So very cool. Now there's quite a few other questions that I was going to cover, but it's going to be you know too long. So I'll just have a link to the AMA in the subreddit. Wait, what? A link to the AMA on the r slash linux subreddit in the show notes that makes more sense up next in the show is the latest release of plasma 5.15 okay technically it's not out yet but it will be out on tuesday this coming tuesday the 12th of february there's actually not a ton of like there's not these huge features in the latest version of plasma but there are a lot of nice uh, polishing and improvement features for Plasma 5.15. So I want to cover a couple of those right now. And that is first up, Bluetooth devices are now giving you ability to indicate the battery status in the power widget. So the if you have like a battery, uh, let's say if you, your laptop has the battery battery widget, you can or power widget, you can also see the battery status of other things like I mean, if you have a headset attached to it or a Bluetooth speaker or any other kind of device, it will tell you what the uh, percentage of the uh, device is in individual per Bluetooth device. That's really cool. They also added s- uh, screen reader support uh, like Orca for desktop icons for the visually impaired, so it's easier for them to navigate their the, the desktop. 
They've also added some um, uh, redes or redesigned the virtual desktops area of the system settings, as well as made the virtual desktops structure work for Wayland. So, you know, like it's always nice to see there's some more Wayland support or Wayland development working. And other system settings areas have also been improved. Uh, one of those is the uh, login screen, and that's uh, it's really nice to see the login screen because it's kind of clunky at times. So it's really cool that they're working on that. And the Firefox 64-bit version can now optionally have new native KDE open save dialogues. So the the, the open save dialog in typically in Firefox has always been a GTK window. And it's kind of clunky because this, like, if you have customizations in your um, your regular system open save dialog, uh, it'll you can actually get like uh, change custom uh, folders for quick access, but they wouldn't be compatible. They wouldn't be shared with the Firefox version because they'd be using a GTK instead. So you'd have to create a custom one for that uh, as well as the, doing both. And this way, you can now use the regular KDE one, which is very nice. They've also done a lot of work on the Discover application, so you can now uh, get uh, improved. They have improvements to Discover, including sandboxed uh, applications via snaps and flat packs. They now respect the Plasma configuration, so when you're using the integration modules for the dis the desktop, it will you know it will respect those integration systems. Very nice. They've also improved the, the global scale factor for high DPI displays. And well, mainly that they've improved it for the uh, GTK apps and GNOME apps, because previously it didn't really work that well. But now it does, and that's great to see. They've also done a lot of uh, improvements to Wayland as overall, as well as like uh, doing drag, uh, touch drag support on Wayland and many more things. And finally, I want to talk about some new network manager stuff they did. They did. They added. Uh, WireGuard VPN tunnels that you can now use directly in the Network Manager plug with a with a plugin via Network Manager, and you can now mark your network connection as a metered connection. So if you're in a situation where you have a certain cap on your internet, you can now uh, turn it you know say that it's metered so you can keep track of you know how much bandwidth you're using. So very nice to see plasma 5.15 has been a lot a lot of improvements and polishing so it's really cool if you want to find out more i'll have a link to the blog post technically the blog post that currently exists is going to be the like 5.14.90 or something because it's a beta link uh, due to the fact that the it's not technically out yet but it will be soon so there you go i've linked to that in the show notes up next in the show, the first beta release for GNOME 3.32 has been released. They've actually gone into a feature freeze, a UI freeze, and an API freeze. So they're saying that it's now a good time for distributors who plan to ship GNOME 3.32 to start testing the packages for their shipping. They've also done some really interesting things. There's been there's a lot of improvements to various different applications, and overall there's some improvements to the shell. But... One of the things that I think that is is really the most interesting is the they're doing some uh, they're giving user permissions uh, users to have more permissions over their applications. So there's a new applications panel where users will be able to uh, can better control locally installed applications like flat packs and even regular repo apps. So they're and they're saying that the uh, the, the GNOME team is saying that the adoption of flat pack means that we have additional application permission settings that we need to expose. 
This includes things like microphone, a camera access, as well as access to specific USB devices. The list could grow in the future to include things like access to contacts and calendar data. So this allows users to choose whether or not to provide an application access to their camera or their microphone or whatever else, uh, like, as, as mentioned previously. Uh, they also say that you get a section, a usage section that shows the space that the app is taking up. So you can, you know, basically take, you know, you can see better, um, more information about how much an, an individual application is using resources on your computer. So that's cool. And, you know, there's a lot of progress for these apprehensions, um, but there's currently no view for snaps mentioned for this panel. So that's unfortunate. They, they're they just focusing on, at the moment, they're just focusing on flat packs and regular repo apps. Really nice to see if they included uh, snaps and app images in the future. Uh, some other enhancements that they've done is they've done a new audio section. So it now uses a vertical layout and ranks available options uh, more logically, I guess. And they've also improved some, the, uh, the GNOME settings will be more responsive and mobile friendly, which I guess is, I mean, mobile would kind of work with the new phone applications that are going to be using stuff like that. But overall, that's the majority of the shell stuff. But there's some application stuff, uh, some other, well, some specific GNOME applications, not just like Allergies and Framework, like front flat packs, but some actual applications that GNOME makes, which is Epiphany or GNOME Web is a browser. And they've done some improvements to animations. Uh, they've changed the way the, uh, the settings are controlled for a hardware acceleration. There's a new design for their security popover, and they've also done some improvements for CSS styling and various scaling improvements to uh, improve the way it works on small form factors and some other things. They still need to work on this piece. The Epiphany has this really cool feature that it allows you to do uh, desktop apps. You can create web apps that are specific to um, Epiphany, and you have individual sessions based on the, the web app. It's really good. It works quite well but they don't have it uh, really accessible to get to the application manager to manage the applications once you make them. So they need to fix that, but moving on. Uh, they've also improved some stuff for Gedit and GNOME boxes, allowing GNOME boxes uh, virtualization, uh, v the virtual, virtual machines to use host pass-through pass for their CPU mode, which makes it much more uh, performant and uh, more efficient. Uh, the only thing that I would say that's kind of like a weird negative thing about this release is that they've decided to get rid of the translucent top panel effect. I mean, it's not really important and it's not a big deal, but it is nice that it had it. Because basically what happened is there's a transparent, there at the moment anyway, there's a transparent panel at the top and it shows your wallpaper through it. And if you move the window to the top of it and like kind of connect them, it would make the panel go like to a black opaque uh, panel. And that was kind of a cool effect, but they've decided to remove that completely and go back to just a black opaque by default. So it's uh, well, not by default, just in general. It says, uh, they said the reason why they're doing this is because they, they don't, they don't control the background. So a high density detail or very bright wallpapers will make text and icons difficult to read or see. And that's fair. I mean, it kind of does, depending on the, the situation. Uh, what The reason why I think it's they, there's other, another, another option is because they said that there's only three options that they were put forward to fix the problem. And one is to revert and go back to using a black background, like they are. Uh, implementing a blur effect or using lightness sampling to pick a foreground color. 
and using a Docker overlay with a gradient. Now, the reason why I'm saying there could be another option is because I'm pretty sure Elementary has their own uh, layout where their Pantheon DE does something similar, where it's transparent and then it goes, becomes opaque depending on how you're interacting with it. And I would suggest they would check out how Elementary does it and see if they can use, you know, implement that way rather than just kind of completely revert back. But overall, this is not a big deal, and GNOME 3.32 looks like a nice update. And um, yeah, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Oh, by the way, uh, GNOME.3.32 official release will be March 13th. Uh, we'll have another beta release uh, later this month as well. But yeah, so link in the show notes. Up next in the show, and the first topic for distro news this week, is System Rescue CD 6.0 has been released and rebased. So System Rescue CD has always been using Gentoo as their base, but they've now decided to rebase it on Arch Linux with version 6.0. It comes with, uh, like, the System Rescue CD itself comes with a lot of utilities for, um, it's, it's like a live distribution that allows you to uh, recover and restore data from your system. Makes sense, System Rescue. Anyway, so... It has a bunch of uh, utilities that are nice, like parted, part image, parted, FS archiver, or file system archiver, and also allows you to do other things for uh, backup and restoring stuff. To edit, you can even like save crashed uh, d disk partitions and a variety of different things like that. So it also comes with a new boot options that they're using Arch Linux to uh, function, to do that by, by adopting Arch Linux. They're getting new boot options because of that. And they've also upgraded their uh, their graphical interface or their desktop environment with the XFCE version 4.12, which is the latest version of XFCE. You want a lightweight DE rather than the latest uh, modern DE for something like this because you need it to be functional and not get in the way. And this is a, is a good option to use XFCE for that because that way they don't have to constantly get updates to their new versions. But they have also updated the latest version of Xorg Server. And they've adopted the the recent long-term support kernel of Linux 4.19.20. They've also done some interesting things of that they've dropped 32-bit support. So if you if you wanted to use this, you would need to have a computer that supported 64-bit, which kind of makes sense because you know 64-bit is has been the standard for many many years, and 32-bit is essentially dying out. Um, so I understand their decision. They've also reintroduced a new the auto run service so you can run scripts automatically at boot time, which is very nice. So if you would like to check out uh, the latest release of System Rescue CD 6.0, I have a link to it in the show notes. Fedora has been looking into redesigning their logo. There's been a post, a blog post by Maureen, Maureen, I think that's how you say it, uh, Duffy, there for the Fedora design team, and they've been working on refreshing it. So they've posted a really, really detailed list of how, what's been going on through the different iterations of their changes and why they're making these changes, what's like motivating the, the reason to change it, and many other things. It's really interesting if you're curious about how this process would work uh, on a big scale like Fedora. And they've also said, the reason I wanted to put it in here is because they said that they would like to get feedback from the users. Uh, so if you were interested to provide feedback to their designs, uh, feel free to do so. But they did want to note out that it is not a voting system. They're not voting on which ones to use. They just want you to give your opinions about what you like and don't like for the various different options. 
So if you are interested in doing that, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And also, Fedora has mentioned uh, that they are going to be doing some user counting or user tracking through DNF. Now that they initially said they were going to use a UUID identifier for the system so they can count the different how many users of Fedora there are, but they've decided to forego that where they knew a different version of using a specific uh, CountMe service inside of DNF. I'm not really sure exactly what CountMe does because they haven't really specified that. I don't think they've actually implemented it yet. They're just kind of discussing using something like it. So it's an interesting way of using DNF. So like once a week, it will count you as a user of Fedora and tell for the Fedora team how many people are using Fedora throughout that week. So it's a good, it's like an interesting way of doing it. So that way you could get the user data to find out how many people are actually using the system. Now, this is good news in my opinion, because distros have needed this be, to be done, you know, because we kind of, we needed the overall user base information for years, ever, forever, really. And uh, it's nice to finally see that some distros like Fedora and Ubuntu and some others are actually putting in the process to find out this information because that's very cool. They've um, they also said that they're um, not really sure if they're going to be putting it into Fedora 30 or pushing it back to Fedora 31. So we'll see about that you know, whenever they release a new version. So anyway, if you'd like to learn more about the logo and the new user countering system in Fedora, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is some more distro news, and these next two are distros that I had not heard of uh, until doing this show, this episode. And the first up is Linux Kadachi 6.0. And Linux Kadachi is a live operating system that you can start on almost any computer from a DVD, USB stick, or SD card. That's the way they describe it. And they say it aims to be preserving your privacy and anonymity. So it's a security privacy live USB or live installation system. Well, okay, technically it is installed to the, the, the media that you put it on, but it's not technically installed to the computer that you're running it through. Uh, but so it, when you first boot it up, well, once you boot it up, you have like a full uh, security privacy structure orient. So that you have like a VPN connection, a Tor connection, and DNS crypt service running. So it's trying to like... Um, keep it as anonymous and as secure as possible or private as possible. So it's kind of like Tails in a way, but they're kind of doing more stuff for you and they're doing and they're basing their system um, on Zubuntu, which is pretty interesting. So they're basing it on Zubuntu 18.04 LTS version, but they've also upgraded the kernel to 4.19. And they've also added a function that if you wanted to have persistence through the USB, you can do that. So you could have USB persistence through uh, encrypted persistence and regular persistence through the Casper RW tool. Uh, they also had it where you can mount storage devices as read-only, and you can do some like memory cleanup, like you can uh, use regular cleanup or force it, as well as doing memory wipe on drives. So this is a pretty interesting distribution. I haven't given it a chance myself, so uh, if you have, let me know what you think in the comments below. Uh, or if you're willing to try it out, let me know. Uh, but I would say that it's, it's, there's no recommendation here because I've never tried it myself, but just want to point that out. Anyway, it looks like an interesting distro. So if you're interested in checking it out, then I have a link to Linux Kadachi 6.0 in the show notes. Oh, I probably said that wrong. Kadachi. I just, that's just what I'm, it's probably not that. Almost guaranteed it's not that. That's just what I'm, you know, anyway. Up next is another distro that I, the, the second distro that I 
hadn't heard of until now, and that is Refracta 9.0. And Refracta is based on Dev1 2.0, the ASCII version, the ASCII codename version. This is Refracta is based on Dev1, and Dev1 is based on Debian. The difference between Dev1 and Debian is that Dev1 is the essentially it's a Debian without systemd. But it also means that there's some kind of some old packages inside of their distro. And Refracta inherits that as well. So the current version of uh, the current kernel that Refracta has is 4.4.9. So it's kind of it's kind of it's a little old, but it's in the uh, the old Debian, the old stable version for Debian, which then Dev1 has, and then Refracta inherits. But they're using Sysv in it. So if people who people who don't like System D, this might be an option for them. There are other distributions that also don't use System D. If you are interested, um, there's a variety of those. But uh, it's an interesting thing because they installed everything as individual pieces rather than a meta package, which is the normal. So it makes it possible to you know, eat more easily remove individual parts of the system. Uh, they also have a uh, custom, uh, you know, stuff for uh, Refracta Snapshot and Refracta Installer, which allows you to make your own custom live ISO from the installed system. So you can install Fracta and then make your own version of Fracta via those tools. So there is a lot of interesting things that they're doing with this, and um, they do, and it's mostly uh, open source software, by default, but if you want to get like the wireless firmware packages, you would need to use the non-freeze things, but they do provide those as well. So, you know, I think this is interesting. If you would like to check it out, I'll have a link in the show notes to Refracta 9.0. Up next in the show is a distribution I have heard of, and that's Redcore Linux. The This latest release of 18.12 has been released, and this is a this distribution or this release for this distribution is giving users more power of Gentoo, as they're saying, and they say that it's going to be more like Gentoo than any other releases before it. Uh, so they're having a, they have a new Grub theme, and they have updated versions of KDE frameworks and KDE apps. Uh, if you haven't heard of if you haven't heard of before, uh, Red Red Core Linux is a Gentoo based distribution that offers LXQt and KDE Plasma implementations for their desktop. Uh, they're they they're one of the like the uh, the known outside of Lubuntu. They're one of the main LXQt distributions that are, makes it available, and uh, they also have this uh, Vasile. I think that's how you call it. It's a, a versatile grant, uh, advanced script for ISO and and um, latest enhancements. So they they created this to get new benefits to the latest version of Red Core Linux. So you can have uh, you can uh, you can have a new function inside of this tool called adapt, and it will detect how many CPU cores are active on your system, and adjust uh, portages make ops variable variable according to what your system has, so you can do the compiling a lot faster without having to manually control like set it up. You can just use this tool to make the improve and enhance the the, the script building. So that's very nice. They did say as a as a note that there's a lot of changes under the hood like a lot. So this release will break backwards compatibility with previous releases. You can do an upgrade, but they recommend to do a fresh install instead because the upgrade could take a few hours to finish. So if you have, you should make some backups. If you are using Redcore, you should make some backups before you install, uh, install the new version. You should do fresh install because it'd be a lot less painful because, you know, why don't you want to wait a few hours to do an update? 
They've also done many other fixes and many other improvements, and I'll have a link to their full change log in the uh, show notes for Redcore Linux 18.12. Next in the show, Google has announced that they're open sourcing their project or tool called ClusterFuzz. Fuzzing is an automated method for detecting bugs in software that works by feeding unexpected inputs to a target program. So you're kind of trying to force it to experience bugs by just giving it a bunch of nonsense to make it kind of uh, just fall apart and you see where the bugs are that you can fix. So that's what fuzzing is for. So in this case, so software projects written in an unsafe language such as C or C++, and this is their, their wording, fuzzing is a crucial part of ensuring their security and stability. So cluster fuzz has, around, has found more than 16,000 bugs in Chrome and more than 11,000 bugs in over 160 open source projects that use the OSS fuzz tool. They haven't really specified which projects that they're talking about, but it's really cool that they're doing this because uh, ClusterFuzz provides end-to-end automation from bug testing or bug detection to triaging. So you'd like say, for example, if it sees a bug and if it that bug already exists and has already been reported, it will not do a duplicate a duplication structure. It'll it'll triage it detecting that it already exists and just kind of throw it away to not have multiple of the same thing. It also has automated bug reporting and many more things. So it's pretty cool um, because it even has like automatic closure of bug reports depending on if one of the tools has been one of the features have been fixed or not. So it's it's nice to see Google making something that doesn't steal your privacy. You know that's nice. So, but uh, Cluster Fuzz does look pretty cool. I do like the, the the fact that they're you know creating these tools and also open sourcing them because it's very important that these kind of things are available because this could be really useful to a lot of projects. And, uh, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad to see it. And if you would like to learn more about ClusterFuzz uh, or this, I'll have a link to the blog post for this particular release uh, in the show notes. Up next in the show is some new Humble Bundles that are out. Now, there's, we're going to talk about three, and uh, two of them are books, one of them is games. So we're going to start off with the games. Uh, the, game, the Paradox Games Bundle has games like Crusader Kings 2, Magicka 2, Age of Wonders 3, Europa Universalis 4. I probably butchered that one. And it has also some DLCs for these games too. So if you're in that if you like those types of games, then you know, you might want to check this out. There are also some other games that I didn't list because they're not native to Linux, but they might work with Proton. I didn't try them, so I don't I don't know if they do or not. Uh, but this pro- this particular bundle is available for over a week still. So if you are interested, I have a link to it in the show notes. And also is the Game Industry Books uh, Bundle, or the uh, Getting Getting Started in the Games Industry. So you, it's a it's a, a, book, a bunch of books that allow you to learn how to do game development, as well as having a collection of interviews from interviews from great uh, game designers. Uh, it has books for the Indie Game Developer Handbook, uh, Creative Character Design, 3D Game Environments, and all kinds of things for like techniques and stuff. It's pretty interesting, and it also has a little bit over a week. For uh, purchasing it, if you were interested, and finally for the humble bundle, uh, programming cookbooks. Now, this one I wanted to specify. The reason I'm specifying how much time is left is because this one has only a couple days left. So, if you are interested, you need to do it sometime before Monday. I think it's like Monday noon-ish Eastern time is when it when it's no longer available. Um, not totally sure on that one, but it's it's sometime Monday. So, if you are interested in checking it out. 
Uh, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but they have a cookbooks for regular expressions, Perl, PHP, Android, JavaScript, Arduinos, Raspberry Pi. It also has some other like scripting languages like Bash, Scala, Python, and even some Docker uh, Docker cookbook to learn how to make Docker applications. And many, many, many more. So if you are interested in this kind of thing, um, I mean, one of, this is one of the things, I, one of the, the bundles I'm mostly interested in is the programming one. Uh, so anyway, if you are, I'll link to that in the show notes. And remember, you only have a couple days for that. So, you know, be sure to quick, if you are interested, be sure to get it quickly. Uh, I have a link to that in the show, uh, to all of these bundles in the show notes. And before we move on to the next topic, I want to clarify that the links in the, vi- the video description and the show notes are uh, affiliate links. So if you do decide to purchase the Humble Bundles, uh, please use those links because we give a commission to the Tux Digital channel uh, from Humble-, Humble Bundle if you were to do so. So I would appreciate that. Uh, anyway, yep, moving on, next topic. And finally this week, we're going to talk about this new game that I've been playing recently, thanks to Destination Linux uh, host uh, Ryan. He challenged me to play this game, and uh, it is very fun. It's ridiculous and fun. So if you ever, if you were as a kid, you remember like playing with the uh, the green and tan army men uh, plastic uh, toys. They now made a game called The Mean Greens Plastic Warfare, where essentially... You are army men battling each other on a variety of different silly things like uh, sandboxes or uh, kitchens, counters, uh, and you can, can, like, like, (laughs) there's just, it's so ridiculous, it's awesome. There's also an aquarium map, it's, anyway, so uh, it's currently, they've dropped the price down to uh, $4.99 on Steam. So you, you can you can uh, that's the nor- the normal average price. However, they're currently doing a discount right now. So if you are if you are interested in playing this game, you can currently get it seventy percent off. I think it's like one dollar and seventy cents or something. Um, so if you wanted that, you could try it out really much much cheaper. Uh, but that deal is only available until Monday sometime Monday morning. I'm not I don't remember again. Uh, so uh, if you are interested, you can check it out. You know, I'll have a link to in the show notes. For the game, uh, but if you have, if you are looking more into, they have a lot of cool battles. They have different modes. They have like a variety of different weapons that you like. The really cool thing is that you don't the 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 game. The weapons are available at all times, so you can just switch to them anytime you want to. So everybody has like you you don't upgrade your weapons and get better weapons. And then some people have like ridiculously overpowered weapons. It's just, everybody has the same thing, and it's just like an all out just brawl type of thing. It's really cool. I, I like the idea of it, and if you would like to, we'll be playing this game sometime soon, within the next week or so. I don't really know when exactly, but we're going to do like a community stream or a community game uh, of this, of you know, Green Mean Greens Plastic Warfare. So be sure to join the Tux Digital Discord server and Tux Digital Telegram group by going to tuxdigital.com slash discord, tuxdigital.com slash telegram, and uh, join in the game. So, yeah. Have a link to the game Mean Greens Plastic Warfare in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways you can contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. 
You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like us to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. Just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.